Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. If you're watching on YouTube, please smash the like button like you're Brandon Davies. You have consent. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the YouTube channel, please go ahead and knock that out while you're here. All right, Norlander, some notable NCAA news in the past 24 hours. The NCAA Board of Directors on Wednesday adopted several measures designed to assist with the mass influx of athletes in the transfer portal while also modernizing its infractions process. Put another way, there's now a 60-day transfer window for everybody, including basketball players in R-I-P-I-A-R-P. Deadleg, to the best of your ability, tell the folks what happened on Wednesday and why it matters. R-I-P-I-A-R-P. That is actually tough to say a few times fast here. Okay, so we've got the I-A-R-P and the new infraction stuff, and then we've got the transfer stuff. Where You pick, GP. Let's, let's just cut these in half. What do you want me to start with first? Let's go transfer first. All right, transfer. Okay, so all college sports now have transfer windows. They, di- they differ depending on when the sports are played. If you're in the fall, there's a 45-day window, and then there's another one on the back end in May. In the winter, college basketball, for our purposes, what we're going to talk about here, there is one singular 60-day transfer window. I will get into what that actually means. And then spring sports have the reverse where they've got an early window and then a 45-day on the back end. For college basketball, this 60-day window will start the Monday after Selection Sunday, and it will end then 60 days later, so in mid-May. The previous deadline this past year was May 1. Now you're going to be looking around May 15th or you know, give or take. It's going to be a 60-day window. Why is there a single 60-day window for transferring? Well, the NCAA and the Transformation Committee, which is headed up by Julie Cromer, the Ohio AD, and Greg Sankey, the uh, the SEC commissioner, uh, received loads of feedback over the past eight, nine months, basically. And there was a big push among many coaches and ADs in all sorts of sports to condense this, to not basically have an ongoing uh, you know, <laughs> cycle where players could go into the portal whenever they want it. Just if they want to leave, they can leave. But for official purposes, let's make this uh, where they have more than enough time to decide if they're going to leave, but really just try and square it off, if you will. So college basketball will have 60 days. Now, to be clear about this, okay? Um, one, I heard there was a little bit of blowback on, well, why wouldn't you start this after the NCAA tournament ends? Well, there's still going to be five or six weeks from the end of the tournament to the end of the portal closing. So, Anyone that was playing postseason ball, they will have more than enough time to do that. There is no debt. This, por- this transfer window does not mean 
that at the end of the 60-day period, everyone that's decided to go into the portal must decide where they're going to their new school. No, you have 60 days to merely officially put your name into the portal. Um, now, if you're Joe Q jump shot and you decide on December 7th, uh, I'm done. I'm leaving this team. I'm out. You can tweet it. You can announce it. You can tell the team. You can tell the world. People will know you're on the No one's stopping that from happening. That will continue to happen. We will still have tweets, news. Hey, this player... Uh, he just tweeted out that, you know, uh, it's been real, but I'm out of here in the middle of January. That's still going to happen. That player just simply can't go into the portal until it opens the Monday after Selection Sunday. From a rule standpoint, you that player will not be allowed to be contacted by other schools until they're in the portal, but whatever. Um, that's not stopping coaches, obviously, in AAU coaches or other representatives from finding you if need be. Again, tampering is one of college sports' greatest traditions. This new 60-day transfer window, Parrish, as you well know, that's not stopping that. But it does make for something a little bit cleaner. A couple more quick details and chime in here, GP. Uh, reminder, first-time transfers, immediately eligible everywhere. Now, the D1 board opted against always eligible transfers. Second time, third time, they are not immediately eligible. One of the big concerns there was the thought that, th that players would do this Every time you transfer, not all your credits transfer, it would reduce graduation rates. So that is not a thing. Cynicism is still out there about whether or not this becomes something that that sticks. And by that, GP, I mean you can still apply for a waiver. Here's what the here's what the language is from the NCAA. The legislation also establishes exceptions to the new windows for student athletes who experience head coach changes. So if you're a second-time transfer and you had a head coach change, you can apply for a waiver. You're going to be immediately eligible, basically. Or if had athletics aid reduced, canceled, or not renewed, i.e., if the coach ran a player off. Now, you're going to have to get the coach to agree that he got run off. That might not be the easiest thing. One more thing, the board also adopted new, more specific standards for immediate eligibility waivers for student-athletes who do not otherwise meet the one-time transfer exception, focusing on the student-athlete well-being or circumstances outside the student-athlete's control. So... The NCAA doesn't want to get sued or deal with more just cases like this where a player wants to be eligible. They've been ruled ineligible. We'll see on that. Uh, but the big takeaways are the 60-day window, which will, like, for our purposes, like, this will actually create um, an aggressive news cycle. Maybe that's a good thing for college basketball. We talk more about transfers this year than ever before. It actually generates interest in news. And then there's not transfer whenever you want, however often you want with immediate eligibility. That was punted on. That's not going to stick. But again, with the waiver situation, we'll see how true that reality is, Parish, a year or two or three down the road. Minor complaint, and I can't emphasize the word minor yeah. uh, enough because this won't impact my life in any tangible way. I'm not a college basketball coach. But I, I don't like the start date of the window. Um, I, I think you are at some level of disadvantage if you're playing in the NCAA tournament because uh, Monday after Selection Sunday, um, we're flying to – uh, San Antonio for a round of 64 game. We're prepping um, um, scouting reports, all of this stuff. And, hey, an interesting player just entered the transfer portal. Uh, oh, oh, hey, I need one of you to go work on that. Hey, I got to take a phone call on this. I don't like the idea that you are placed in a situation as a staff where you theoretically would have to allot some time to recruiting when you really should be focused on the task at hand, which is everybody uh, focused on our opponent in this NCAA tournament. And if you end up advancing to the final four, well, that's three weeks of, mm -hmm. of time where certain staffs 
have really nothing to do other than recruit. And you have lots of things to do other than recruit. And so it puts, again, in theory, uh, the best programs in the country at some level of disadvantage. You're going to have to pick how you spend your time. As a member of a staff, how am I spending my time today? Am I in the transfer portal or am I focusing on um, we've got a round of 32 game against Michigan on Sunday? And so I, I, you know, put me in charge. I would have wanted to push the date back until the Tuesday after the national championship game, or maybe the Monday after the elite eight. And then you're only Mm -hmm. whatever, however your disadvantage, it's literally four teams. And so whatever disadvantage they have in this area, they'll be able to raise final four banners and and offset it perhaps. But again, minor complaint, but I would, I don't like it starting when it starts. Uh, Just real quick on that. Um, I'd been talking to coaches about this issue for a number of months. They wanted a 45-day window with what exactly what you're saying, because the reason why it ends in mid-May, semester ends there, school's wrapping up. You don't want to have to deal with this stuff as you get into, into June, understandably so. Like You want to have this from a winter sports perspective, get it wrapped up uh, in the first couple of weeks of May. But coaches wanted, wanted this thing to be about 45 days. The problem is what's good for – and this gets back to an issue where coaches are like, just let us have our own rules for basketball and civilly when it comes to transferring is just not going to do that. But what works for 45 days in college basketball doesn't work in college football and some other sports might viably need or be better suited for a 60 day window, no matter how those 60 days are broken up, but they wanted to keep it consistent. And so that's where they landed the day after championship selections are made, i.e. the day after selection Sunday. I hear you. It also like, uh, we'll see. Like, there, uh, if you're in theory, if you're good enough to be in the tournament, the players that matter that are transferring, for the most part, you might get two or three. But I do very much think that there will be situations where the bracket comes out Sunday. We're talking about it all day Monday, Tuesday, and then occasionally, like, there's two or three good players that are in the portal, and it's like, well, this doesn't even matter right now because we got way bigger fish to fry. But I know it's it's not perfect. Nothing uh, pretty much ever is there. But um, the other thing with this, I tweeted out uh, a head coach texted me uh, after this came out on Wednesday night, and uh, he said, "You know, the machine is going to break down. Uh, there's no more mid-year transfers at the semester, which doesn't doesn't bother me. Uh, coaches are kind of mixed on this. Some will actually really like it, but um, the only other thing, and I'll be real quick on this, is because this is going to be the reality of the sport and how we talk about it once the season ends. Transfers being in the portal can take official visits." This is going to be a thing now in April and May where previously, as you all know, Parrish, for, you know, the majority of our time here at CBS, April was the first lab period. Now, we wouldn't usually go out in April, but coaches go out. They see those players that before they play on the circuit in July, they're trying to get in there so that when July comes, they're already kind of established, be it if it's a rising sophomore, rising junior, rising senior. Now, the overwhelming majority of coaches are getting to a point where April has to be about how are we getting our roster better? How are we getting older? How are we getting a transfer on? We need to have these official visits. So either some of the staff is going to be taking care of the official visit with the transfer, the entire staff is, and the recruiting calendar might well need to get changed here because you're going to have a lot of coaches simply not going out and recruiting high school kids in person in in April because why the hell are you doing it? Why am I going to look at a 15 or 16-year-old in April when I've got a 21-year-old on my campus that's going to be more to my team next season than this kid that we might get and might be good three years from now? So that's another consequence from this. You might well see a change in the recruiting calendar in college basketball. If not, uh, April's just going to get really fractured, really noisy, and that's you know that's now become the next big discussion behind the scenes in college hoops. I do think that you, you, they need to figure the calendar out a little better in that regard. Um, you you shouldn't be picking between 
do I go to a grassroots event this weekend or do I um, focus on re-recruiting my own team and and recruiting guys who are in the transfer portal? It's it's a disservice to everybody. Um, the high school players that I mean, if you're arguing in favor of grassroots basketball, like there's a lot of bad. But if you're arguing the good, it's that it's the exposure that, that you get in a room with college coaches. They get to see you in ways they otherwise wouldn't even know you exist, perhaps. And now you lessen that exposure because didn't the Florida staff tell you when you were spending time with them? Like there were mm-hmm. times they just did not go out at all. That's right. They yeah. spent two combined. No, they spent one, two coaches spent one day on the road period in April looking at high school kids. Everything else was dedicated to the transfer portal. Right. That so, that's, that's, so, yeah. so if you really care about the high school kids and, and people say that they do, well, this is a disservice to the high school kids because they're not being seen as much otherwise uh, would be seen. So I would I would straighten that out. Let's have uh, a, a live evaluation, grassroots, you know, five day period or whatever. I'm not arguing about the days, but I just think that should be separate from, um, you know, a, a time where coaches are focused on re-recruiting their own teams and 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 being involved in the transfer portal. Um, as it pertains to the 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 60 day window. Just to revisit that real quickly, and then we can move on to the IARP news. Um, I, I guess my example, because I, I think you you said like, um, all right, the it's the it's the Monday after selection Sunday, and maybe a couple of good players are in there, but you know they don't. Most of them don't matter, and I agree with you. Most of them don't matter because I have insisted for years mm-hmm. as people were um, going crazy about transfers, it, most of them don't matter. Period. Um, but you know, hypothetically speaking. Let's say, and I know SMU played in the NIT right. last season, but let's say SMU misses the NCAA tournament. They they get an NIT game, uh, you know, on a, on the Tuesday after selection Sunday. They lose it next morning. Kendrick Davis is in the transfer portal. Yeah, well, he matters. He does. Yes. And now you're a staff. You're okay. It's it's Wednesday morning. You're playing either Thursday or Friday in the NCAA tournament, but Kendrick Davis just went into, or a player of his caliber just went into the transfer portal. Now you you've got to pick. How am I going to spend my time today? Am I going to keep focusing on my round of sixty four game? I got media obligations, all the travel, or am I going to be on the phone with Kendrick Davis's mom, AAU coach, uh, Kendrick Davis himself? Like I don't think it's great that you you're you're asked to spl- to make those types of choices, and that's why I would prefer the sixty day window start later. But again, I, I, I can't emphasize the word minor enough. That's a, that, it's a minor complaint. All right, IARP and new infractions process here. Um, this to me is uh, just as significant as the transfer stuff, if not more. Um, so, and this was all, this all got voted in yesterday. It's not going to be, it doesn't take effect until January, January 20, January 1 of 2023. Um, here's what Jerry Moorhead, the president of Georgia, and who's the chair of the board of directors said in a statement. He said, these changes to the overall infractions process will accelerate the timelines for infractions cases. Again, accelerate the timelines. Important. We'll see. He continues, quote, with the adoption of the new constitution in January, NCAA members committed to resolving cases fairly and in a timely fashion, thus holding those responsible for violations accountable and avoiding penalizing those who were not involved in rule breaking, end quote, my words, i.e. the players. Some of the changes to the process include a more clearly defined violation of charging standards for the enforcement staff, clarification about the role of school leadership and investigation. That's an intriguing one to me. This is also intriguing. I don't have more details on this. A new standard for head coach responsibility requirements. Is this 
more standards or lessening the standards? I'd love some detail on that. We don't have transparency on that specifically right now. And then the creation of a public facing dashboard for existing infraction cases. The appeals process is also changing there. Are we going to get more transparency from the NCAA as these cases are happening? Will they actually be resolved faster? I don't quite know what the answer to that is. The NCAA continued the first proposal with amending this infraction process, quote, focuses on increasing cooperation in infractions cases, increasing transparency during the infractions process, and expediting the resolution of infractions cases, end quote, GP. I will believe it when I see it. This is, I feel like, the fourth time in the past 10 to 12 years where the NCAA has announced an amendment, an upgrade, a streamlining of its infractions process, its adjudicated process. It continues to keep stepping on it. What were your thoughts overall on what you saw here before we get into the IRIP and the death of all that? Well, first, I agree with you. I'll believe it when I see it. They've been talking about <laughs> streamlining the process and um, you know, doing these things more quickly. Uh, you got a mute button, don't you? <laughs> I do. I was muted. Where, uh, okay. It, did it not mute me? I don't think so. Really? It doesn't. Okay. It, it doesn't matter. Um, right. I, I hope you're feeling okay. I'm all right. Yeah. All right. Um, they've been talking about streamlining the process forever. You know, I like. It's a little bit like you know, my kids, my little guys. They keep telling me they'll keep their toy room clean. I'll believe it when I see it. You know, it, it seems like I'm always the one picking up the toys. Uh, they 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 don't quite follow through on, on what they say. They're good mm-hmm. kids, but they 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 mean well. I think they're telling the truth that they're going to do their best. But one reason or another, the toy room just doesn't stay as clean as I think it should be. And this is the history of the NCAA. Constantly talking about we need to be better about this and then never actually being better. So, yeah, I'm with you. I'll believe it. Um, I'll believe it when I see it. As far as head coach responsibility, I think it should be increased. I think that is the biggest we we've heard for decades about rogue assistants. Oh, he's a rogue assistant, you know. Oh, that guy, that assistant, he just went wild. The biggest deterrent to to rogue assistants is having a head coach say you can't do this cuz it'll get me in trouble. Like it used the opposite was true. Head coaches mm-hmm. used to literally encourage their assistants Go, hey, I don't need to know. Go do what you got to do. Just get it done. Get the job done. And there's countless examples of school gets busted, assistant gets caught, (coughs) assistant gets fired, and coach lives to coach another day because, hey, he didn't know what was going on. That shady assistant was just being shady. I actually sat in a coach's meeting, high major off, high major coach. He was in, you know, within the past few years, he was had his entire staff in there. And this coach was literally reading his contract and NCAA rules to his staff. And he was saying, this contract, I am guaranteed, let's just say it was $18 million. They have to pay me $18 million. It doesn't matter if I lose every game. They have to pay me $18 million. The only way they don't have to pay me $18 million is if I break rules or you break rules. Now, I'm not breaking any rules because I'm not costing myself $18 million. And so let me be clear. I am not asking you to operate in the gray area. I am not asking you to break rules. I'm begging you not to because it will cost me $18 million. There is no player you can get me that is going to be worth $18 million to me. And what that coach understood is that 
once upon a time, you could go out, break rules, and you would pay the price for that. You would pay the price for that. I wouldn't pay the price for that. But now, given the way contracts are written and the way the NCAA rules are enforced, I will have to pay the price for you, quote unquote, cheating. So don't cheat. I think that's a good thing. Although I don't even know what cheating looks like anymore. But but I think I think if you're trying to keep the quote rogue <coughs> assistance in line, the best way to do that, or among the best one of the ways to do that, is to have their bosses who used to you know nudge them a certain direction. Now their bosses saying you can't do that because it'll get me. I'll be the one that gets in trouble, and I care about me. So no, no, no. I think that's a good thing in the sport. All right, IARP is going away. Born out of the FBI investigation, which then was born out of the Rice Commission, which was formed after the FBI investigation. Formed in 2019, dead in 2022. The NCAA says the IARP will be dissolved after the five remaining cases in that process are adjudicated. Reminder, we have not had a single case adjudicated by the IARP to this point. The five schools are... Arizona, LSU, Memphis, Kansas, and Louisville. Actually, let me re- let me reorder that. The order of those cases as they will come out, as I understand it, is Memphis first, then Kansas, then Arizona, then, then LSU. Louisville is the shiftiest one because the Chris Mack stuff got attached to it after. So whereas before, I think Louisville was third in line. I mean, maybe it's still third, could be fourth, could be fifth. Uh, I don't have an exact line on Louisville, but I, unless something changes behind the scenes, it's going to be Memphis and then it's going to be Kansas and then it's a question if it's Arizona or Louisville first. Those schools are going to be ruled on by the IARP. The question becomes, with the stuff that came out here, yes, a lot of this goes into effect in 2023, <clears throat> will the schools be subject to significant punishments such as postseason bans? Because this is also under future considerations with what the NCAA announced on Wednesday. Uh, further considerations include requiring increased, whatever, that doesn't matter, adjusting the size and composition of the Committee on Infractions, whatever, identifying appropriate types of penalties and modifying current penalty ranges, including identifying potential alternative penalties to postseason bans. They did not take postseason bans off the table. There was a wondering, a lingering curiosity if that was going to happen. It has not. I do think these schools are still in the crosshairs of facing postseason bans, uh, I still think Bill Self is facing a significant suspension whenever Kansas does get the punishment there. Uh, the NCAA has always struggled with consistency and precedent and fairness with its punishments, in large part because of two factors. One, rule-breaking and circumstances within different cases always have different details. So to an extent, if you're the NCAA, while you want to keep your house in order, you're like you're constantly setting yourself for, up for criticism and whataboutism when one school is punished, you know, LMNOP and another school is punished XYZ, right? The number two is the inherently warped adjudication process when you'll punish a program for wrongdoings. And in many instances, those wrongdoings are because of the coaches or the staff, but the players face the brunt of it. So trying to resolve those issues have always, has always been a huge problem with the NCAA. Frankly, it's why it keeps continuing to try and change this process every two, four, five years. It's not easy. Again, they're trying to update this uh, altogether. Um, I want, I want before we go on to candy coaches because we're this is going to be a, a pretty quick, quick pod here. GP's got to, got to get moving. But I want your thoughts. One, I think postseason bans should still be out there. I think they're the one significant deterrent. And with improved transfer stuff, GP, things, things kind of link. Like it's the one thing you can still threaten a program with that I think has real impact. You take away that now, even if you could say. We're going to penalize a coach or a coaching staff, and you're not going to be able to work for a year or half a year or two years. I, that that is significant, but like to an actual institution, I, I don't think they should get rid of postseason bans, and they didn't. 
remains to be seen how much that'll get implemented going forward. So your thoughts on that, and then any thoughts about the fact that the IARP, which has been handling these five cases, you know, they didn't toss it out, you know, the baby with the bathwater with this. The, those cases will get resolved. There's no more new ones, but those five will stand alone. They will be the five that have been ruled on by the IARP. What are your two thoughts on uh, on that as we wrap up this part? Of well, the on the IARP, you know, it's just another failed attempt uh, to try to do a, a, a part of the job better. You know, it, it was it was labeled as this new, quicker, better, less complicated way to to handle cases and resolve them. And but it just had- independent oversight, GP, allegedly, whether that was truly independent or not. But the NCAA is uh, well, now like, saying we don't want well, it like, anymore. Well, like in the Memphis case, they are literally arguing that this was not independent from the NCAA at all. You mm-hmm. had an NCAA investigator handling some of the um, – the the I guess the NCAA would call it questioning. Memphis would call it interrogating. Yeah. But e- e- either way, they, they like Memphis, part of Memphis's argument is literally that this was not independent in the way that you said it would be. So it's just another failed attempt, and it'll be replaced with well, you know something different. But the, the idea that it it was um, introduced as this great new thing. And it's gone so quickly, like it barely outlasted Kim and Pete. Is yeah, it's a terrible, is, it's another terrible thing on Mark Emmert's resume, by the way. He was the one that wanted the Rice Commission. He's the one that wanted all this. And we look up in three years, he's had not out of a job here in the next year, and the IRP is dead, you know. And then um postseason bans, I'm with you. I I, I think I'm I, I, I'm I have mixed feelings about them. I don't like the idea of quote punishing people who were yeah. in high school. You know, when this stuff happened, but the counter argument to that has always been if this stuff happens in high school, when you were in high school and it still hasn't been resolved at this university, if you're actually worried about being banned from the NCAA tournament, perhaps you should pick a different university. And that 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 in uh, by extension becomes part of a punishment for alleged rule breaking or actual rule breaking so i i could argue both sides of it pretty easily but i i i i do agree with you it is it is the biggest hammer out there uh, to use against a school that's been breaking the rules i guess where i struggle with this as we're trying to figure out what's fair punishment what's unfair punishment is that we're living in a time where what would even lead to you being punished like, what could you do to get in trouble right well, now? Well, I mean, there still are rules. Like, you know, I, I understand what you're saying, but like, in particular, like, you know, egregious mass academic fraud for, for one. Sure. Uh, you know, and like, they are, you know, we don't need to go down this avenue all the way, but like, they are trying to define what should and should not be allowed from an NIL perspective. And, you know, I could bring up the laugh track right here. Like, they, they've even asked for schools to help narc on other schools with, you know, these. <laughs> with uh, So, uh, just to, uh, I, I know you know I know, right, right. but like, there are still things out there and rules, and you, you do need rules. Like, sure. Would, like, so, like, you know, yeah. if, for instance, um, you know, uh, practicing too many hours a week, having the wrong people on the court with players. Right. That's um, not, that's not a postseason ban, but, right. but, but, yeah, but yes. Like, you know, academic fraud is obviously still a thing. Um, but for the most part, what what schools find themselves quote in trouble for is um, you know illegal recruiting, um, you know booster involvement in 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 recruiting, um, assistant coaches dropping off bags, all stuff that can get done legally differently 
right now. Like if, if your goal is to get $50,000 to a recruit five years ago, you know, you had to break a rule to do that. Now you can smartly, very easily and legally get that done. So um, as it pertains to what usually would get people in big trouble, that kind of stuff is is mostly off the the, the table right now or anybody with even half a brain. But I do believe we will get to a point where the rules will meet, be more clearly established. I don't know when. Um, and, and then, yes, if you're going to have rules, you've got to have punishments for, for schools that break those rules. And though if I were a Memphis, LSU, Louisville, Arizona, Kansas fan, I would be encouraged by the idea that they're at least considering, th- thinking about, talking about getting rid of postseason bans because it implies, at least suggests to me, that if they are un- if they are even on some level uncomfortable with postseason bans, how hesitant are they going to be to give any of these schools postseason bans? Um, you know, impossible to know for sure. But I-, I would take that as a as a positive sign if I were one of these schools still in the IARP process. But once we get the rules more clearly defined, I, I think if I had to pick yes or no, I would I would lean toward yes. I think postseason bans should still be a bullet in the gun of punishment because that's the one that really hurts. Lose recruiting days, not ideal, but not a big deal. Lose some scholarships, not ideal, but not a big deal. Not being ab- able to participate in the NCAA tournament, that that's a that's a big deal. And if we're going to, you know, take our rules seriously and punish programs accordingly that break them, then 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 having that as a possible punishment I think is a uh, probably more of a a good thing than a a bad thing. Let's move on. Our candid coaches series is underway. Got started this week. The answers to the first and second questions have been finalized. We'll get into that next, but first a word from our partners. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the name, your price tool from progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So our Candid Coaches series is underway. The answers to the first and second questions have been finalized. Um, Norlander noted, uh, I don't really want to rush through this, but I do have a flight to catch. And I'm trying to get to to New York, obviously for CBS Sports Network. But I'm going to to Arthur Ashe Stadium tonight to love it. Pay my respects to Queen Venus and Queen Serena. I love it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I've never been, so uh, I don't need to miss this flight. So let's try to get through this pretty quickly. The first question we ask is one we ask every year. Um, we asked roughly a hundred coaches who they think will be the best team in college basketball this upcoming season. And though Gonzaga and Houston are in the betting markets co-favorites to win the 2023 NCAA tournament. The leading vote getter was North Carolina at 37%. Houston was second with 28%. 
The Zags, the team I have first in the top 25 and one, came in third at 20%. And then fourth was Kentucky at 5%. So I think there's a couple of possible surprising things there. North Carolina being 9% percentage points better than anybody else. Gonzaga being third. And Kentucky being fourth, which is where I have them in the top 25 and one, but only getting 5% of the vote. There isn't a consensus number one. I think you and I have known that was going to be the case for a while. But 85% of the vote did go to one of three teams, either North Carolina, Houston, or Gonzaga. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I wasn't surprised by North Carolina winning. Um, I was surprised that Gonzaga wasn't top two. And I was surprised by how distant of a fourth Kentucky was. Now, we're asking coaches, you, you pick one. So it's understandable you know, why the vote broke the way that it did. But I thought there would be... I thought the cluster of teams would be stronger or at least more populated than it was. Like we did have a number, you know, some other teams got a vote here, a vote there, but yeah, I think Carolina bringing everyone back, making the title game, ending Duke the way it did, replacing Manic with Pete Nance is going to be a really good shooter as well. A lot of coaches were just completely sold on that. And then Houston, who, I mean, it, Houston, it, again, I, it just speaks to how, how respected Kelvin Sampson is on the floor. But it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. And we t- touched on this a little bit on the Houston pod, so we can get on to the next question. But the fact that, like, we're talking about Houston, like, it's going to go into the season with its highest outlook, most optimistic since Elijah Mon and Drexler were there. And even then, like, they could be considered better within the context of this season than they were in any of those seasons. It's it's pretty remarkable there. But, yeah, Carolina wins out uh, over Houston and Gonzaga. be interesting to see if all three of those teams, and Kentucky, sure, wind up as the 4-1 season when we get to March. Something will probably break, and one of those teams won't be on the top line. I, I obviously thought those four schools would be the top four. Again, it, that that replicates the top 25 and one. Not that anybody's copying the top 25 and one, but I think those are on paper um, fairly clearly the four best teams in the country on paper. We'll see what happens when the game starts. The only surprising thing to me there was the order, slightly surprising. And I thought it, that Kentucky would be more in line with Carolina, Houston, Gonzaga than so far behind Carolina, Houston, Gonzaga. Like I, I, I would, I would have thought Kentucky might get fifteen to twenty percent of the vote. Maybe UNC a little less, Houston a little less, Gonzaga a little less, and then split those numbers, give them to Kentucky. But it's perfectly reasonable results um, for what it's worth. Twelve different teams, and we only asked for one name. Yes. Twelve different teams got votes, yeah. and and they were the top eleven in the top twenty-five and one, plus Virginia. Virginia is the only team I don't have in the top 25 and one that got a vote. And what's interesting is there's an, so there's a coach who voted for Virginia. And then there was another coach who was an ACC coach who didn't vote Virginia, but went out of his way to say, and Oh, by the way, I, I think Virginia is going to be really good. This was an ACC coach. And he said, I think Virginia finishes first or second in our league. And what that means is that Virginia you know, he, he thinks they're going to finish higher than either North Carolina or Duke. Can't finish first or second without finish higher than one of them. And North Carolina and Duke are both preseason, like, top 10 teams. So keep an eye on Virginia. It made me reevaluate, you know, go back and look at Virginia a little more closely because at least two coaches told me they're going to be way better than, than, than most people seem to, to, to think they're going to be. The, uh, the second question in our Candid Coaches series, and this one is publishing on Thursday, 
we asked uh, roughly 100 coaches, what's the best home environment in college basketball? And we didn't just ask for one school. We asked for a top three. Right. So we got ballots for this one. One, yes. two, three. And the final order, I believe, the top three was Allen Fieldhouse, mm-hmm. Kansas Jayhawks. Number two was Cameron Indoor for Duke. And number three was the kennel for Gonzaga, which, by the way, I, I think I told you this maybe in Slack or somewhere else. If I had to do it, that that would be my ballot. One Kansas, two Duke, three Gonzaga with Indiana as a possible. I, the first two are obvious to me, Kansas and Duke. I could argue a lot of different ways for number three, but I would lean toward a, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be picking probably between Gonzaga and, and Indiana. Um, I'm going to give you all the schools here and then we'll, we'll get you out of here so you can catch that flight. But yes, we asked coaches in your, what you, from what you've seen and or experienced. So some coaches did tell me, I'm going to give you two I've been to, and then I haven't been to this one, but I've talked to other coaches or I've just, I've watched it on TV too many times. So some coaches did give me a a kind of half and half. Some coaches said, I'm gonna give you three I've been to. And so that's why like Kansas didn't get, he's like, I haven't been to Kansas, but it would be a vote. So Kansas actually got some votes because. A coach had never been there, but he's like, how can I not pick Kansas? Sometimes Kansas did not get a vote because some coaches said, I'll give you three that I've been to, which wound up helping some other schools there. But Kansas was on two out of every three ballots, 67.3%. This should put – now, there's no better group to ask than literally the coaches, the people that have gone to this sometimes for three, four decades. They've been inside literally hundreds of Division One arenas. There is no better group to ask than this. Kansas is your definitive winner. Kansas has the best home court environment in the entire sport. Duke got 50.5% of all ballots there, so a strong number two. And then Gonzaga, still on the top tier, 27.4%, but a big drop-off. But again, the fact that Gonzaga's top three really speaks to uh, to what Mark Few has done there. Tier two, Mackey Arena and McHale Center at Arizona. So Purdue and Arizona, both 15.8% of all ballots. Then Indiana and Rupp Arena at Kentucky are tied 10.5% of all ballots. Tier three, Breslin Center, Michigan State, 8.4% of all ballots. Coke Arena, the Roundhouse, Wichita State, shouts, 8.4%. And then the other two in tier three are Neville Arena, which is Auburn, formerly Auburn Arena. And then Texas Tech, both Auburn and Texas Tech at 7.4%. Uh, United Supermarkets Arena is Texas Tech. We got to change that. Oh, you cannot have one of the most intimidating environments in the sport be United's. No, no offense to the people behind what I'm sure is a wonderful company at United Supermarkets, but a United Supermarkets Arena, you, you got to give a nickname for that place. It's got to catch on. Those are tier one, tier two, tier three. And then I'm going to give some love here. Schools that got at least four ballots Grand Canyon, Arkansas. Butler, VCU, Tennessee, and Dayton. And then schools that got at least three ballots. If you're not on this list, I don't know what to tell you. We pull, we're talking about 300 total responses, right? Three schools per 100 coaches is what it is. The other schools on at least three ballots, BYU, Illinois, Iowa State, Providence, and San Diego State. So those, if you just heard your name called in the past – two, three minutes here, your school called, you have uh, among the best home court environments in the entire sport. Uh, Kansas is the definitive winner. And I do think it's can like that, that is right. Like Kansas is one Duke is two. And here Gonzaga is a clear through. I think Purdue and Arizona and Indiana have a viable 
claim to three, but in the, in the eyes of the coaches, it's it's not. It's it's Gonzaga. But those other three, I think, should be uh, should be sitting at the table. There are some wonderful quotes in here, but I'm not going to spoil them. I want you to go read the story. It's on the site Thursday at CBSSports.com. We've got a lot of quotes about a lot of schools. Some schools that even got only a couple of votes, like you know St. Bonaventure got a good quote in there. And uh, I don't know. My last thought on this parish is this in this question in particular really got me revved up for the season. I try to get to two or three new venues every season that I've not been to. And in COVID, it just reminded us, like, we already knew this, but it was like when we did not have fans in arenas, like, it's like, man, really a lot of the magic of this sport has been stripped away. Uh, this question and hearing coaches talk about what they've gone through, it got me really geeked up for the start of the season. And it's listen, it's, it's bragging rights there. So congrats to the uh, the schools and fan bases that made it because you're the ones who bring these buildings. So the buildings are awesome. It's the fan bases and the students within that bring the the brick and mortar to life, and uh, and that's how they they uh, they shook out. We'll have another can of coaches on Friday, and then next week and the week after, and we'll talk about those as the as the pod moves along. Of all the ones you named, I've been to almost all of them. Um, the only ones I haven't been to, I've never been to the McKell Center at Arizona. I have, and it was legit. It would be on my top five. I've never been to Grand Canyon. No, nope. I've never been to Mackey. That's the highest rated one I've not been to. I've been to Mackey. I think of of everyone you named, the only ones I haven't been to are Grand Canyon, Arizona, and Iowa State. I've never been to Iowa State. You've been to Tech? Yeah, you told me. I, you got stuck I was at the Tech. Bobby Knight thing. Yeah, Bobby Knight thing. You, Bobby uh, Knight. you were at Auburn last year. I was at Auburn. I've been to Auburn. I've been to BYU. I've been to Illinois. I've You've been, been to, to Dayton? I've been to well, I've never been to a Dayton game, but I've been to Dayton Arena. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've been there for the first four, but I don't think I've been to a Dayton game. I've been to Providence. I've been to yeah, I've been all Breslin been Center. San Diego, you've been to San Diego State? I've been to San Diego State. There we go. They love uh, you. Jimmer. There. Jimmer. Ah, there we go. There yeah. you go. Been to San yeah. Diego State. It was great. Um, all of them. All of, I've been to Coke Arena. Great. All of them are great. And I will tell you that, you know, this is more of a what's the best over a period of time, but like you, you're not going to find much better than Auburn last season. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, I know it doesn't have the history of being an awesome place, yeah. but it, it's, it is currently an awesome place. And some coaches, by the way, real quick, they did say, listen, I, I, if I could give you like, in fact, one coach said I would give you Wichita state nine years ago, but I don't know if I can give it to it. Some, co right. so, some, some coaches were literally like, I'm going to judge this over a span of time versus whatever. But I think Auburn actually benefited from being good in the past two. Because if we do this five years ago, Auburn's not making the top tier. No, it, and, but if you do it five years ago, Coke Arena probably does. I don't know it's that it's the same point. right now, yeah. but at the height of Greg Marsh, you know, Fred Van Vliet, Ron Baker, all that, that place was wild. Excellent. So, um, yeah, been above, been yeah, all of them except for those three I named. So that's always a fun uh, – just to sort of get uh, the coaches. And, and, and as it pertains to – uh, Allen Fieldhouse. I even had Big Twelve coaches who consider Kansas a rival. Like they don't like Kansas, but they're like, it's the best. Come on, <laughs> you know, it just. I think I, I, I personally, I think it's like fifty-one forty-nine with Cameron. Cameron's, Cameron's, Cameron's awesome. Cameron is, and it's smaller. I, I will, I will, if Duke fans want to make the, I will listen to it. But it, but and but and the, the the coaches are the experts here, and Kansas is a definitive winner. The Jayhawks have the best home court environment in the entire sport. And yeah, so like can it for me the guarantee Kansas Duke have to be one and two in order. Now, I'll argue everything else, but those two got to be in your top 2 in some order. And then I know there's some Kentucky fans or Carolina fans that are probably like, "Ah, oh, but our place is great." And in those places are Carolina got I don't think you sent me Carolina got one vote. 
One. I got one I don't, vote yeah, for North Carolina. I don't think I got any. North yeah. Carolina's neat. You walk in, you see the banners. It's the Dean Dome. But it's just a it's big, this, man. It's just it, a big, It's good. Don't get me wrong. It's but it's just it's and same thing with Rupp. I had some coaches be like, Rupp wouldn't be in my top ten. It's just too it's too big. So Yeah, I don't like you know, when Rupp's filled up, it's a you know, you look at the band the whole deal. It's Rupp Arena. You know, it's a significant place with a with a great historically great basketball program. But I never really got the deals walking in there or walking in Dean Smith Center the way you can get them when you're like, oh, wow, the Cameron Indoor, this is this is something. Allen Fieldhouse, this is something. Even the kennel, like this is, oh, boy, mm. this is something. Um, maybe maybe that that's the common denominator. They're just too big to be viewed as these incredible college basketball environments. Um, so maybe downsize at some point. Maybe. If you want to, if you want to get on this, this type of list, maybe downsize it at some point. Shouts to Devin Downey, shit to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Huck and Larnell. Thank you guys once again for listening to the Island College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, please please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. At Apple, uh, five stars. Leave a nice review. Type some words. There's more of us than there are of them, and we will talk to you again real soon. Till then, take care. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.